So the big question is this. How do married entrepreneurs like us who have decades of business building experience, how do we break through common communication, productivity, and profitability barriers all while living powerfully in sync? That's the big question, and this podcast is the answer. You see, even if just one of you is called to entrepreneurship, the family is called to entrepreneurship. No, the goal is not the almighty dollar. We're aiming for the almighty impact. What's up? This is O.L. and Sway Buckley. Welcome to the Married Pernod Life Podcast. Marriage Marketplace Ministry. Let's go. We recently interviewed one of our mentors, Mr. Myron Golden. And yes, the content was absolutely golden and pun intended. Here's the thing. We interviewed him on Facebook Live, but the it was so amazing that we did not want you all to miss out on the great insight and nuggets of wisdom that he had to share. So get your pens, papers, and pens and get ready to take notes because it's about to be on and popping. Enjoy. Uh, we want to go ahead and introduce you to a very amazing special guest because he's going to literally blow your mind this morning. Yes. So I want to take this moment to introduce you all to... Myron Golden. The Myron Golden. And the crowd goes wild. So, so excited to have him here. Uh, today is going to be really insightful for those of you uh, married entrepreneurs who are definitely uh, already envisioning what you want your 2020 to be like. I know a lot of times when we come to Q4, there are a lot of things for the following or the upcoming year that tend to reverberate through our mind. That's ten, that tends to be what happens as we reflect on the year past. And so I'm so excited. We're so excited to have Myron Golden here because there's definitely going to be some things that I know he's going to share that is going to help break through uh, some barriers, clarify some things, and help you to get some traction um, as it pertains to your business and as well as your marriage. Yeah. So what we want to, um, first of all, welcome. Thank you so much. Thank you for Absolutely. Coming. My pleasure to be here. <laughs> and we want, we would love for you to share. I know we have so, so much to share. Um, and one of the things that we see that many married entrepreneurs are, um, that keeps them stuck is literally the thing that they don't see, which is their mindset. But you see mm. the results of it um, or the lack thereof. So I think it's so uh, powerful to just have an awareness of sure. your mindset um, as an entrepreneur, as a married entrepreneur, and then what that looks like, especially when we're talking about working with those who have big dreams to bring big impact to the world through their family legacy and through their family empire. So we just would love for you to share your insight on that and um, really blow people's mind this morning. That's what <laughs> well, I will do what I can to blow people's mind. There are no guarantees there, but <laughs> I'll, I'll, share, I'll share some ideas. You know, I, I really love what y'all are doing. I love the fact that you are showing families um, and showing couples how they can work together in a business, and that doesn't just make their that doesn't just make their business life better. It makes their family life better. The more things that couples can do together, the better their marriage is going to be. Um, it, it, it's kind of like um, the idea that people who don't grow together grow apart, right? And so, one of the best ways to grow together as a couple is to work together in business. And you know, I think about. I think I'm, you know, 58 and I've got, I've got grown children and I've got a little baby granddaughter. And as I think back on my wife and how much time 
our family has been able to spend together because we own our own business and because we work together in that business. It's just kind of, it's kind of mind blowing the difference between that and me having a job and going this direction um, all day and my wife having a job and going that direction all day. And then we come back together and we just don't have really that much in common because our heads are in two totally different spaces and we're decompressing from all the stuff that happened out there. And then we're, we're as, as much as we don't like to admit it, stressing over what's going to go on out there tomorrow. So when we're together, we're not really even together then, you know what I mean? So, so at least if, if there are some family, if there are some business pressures and some business stresses and we have a family business and we're working on it together, at least we're focused on the same thing and we have our energy focused in the same direction. So I love the idea of family business. And I tell people family business is a good idea because family business is a God idea. When you think about it, even the kingdom of God itself, that concept of the kingdom of God is a family business. Mm -hmm. um, when uh, Yeshua was... 13 years, 12 years old, rather, when he was 12 years old and his family had, they went up to Jerusalem for the feast days. And when they were leaving Jerusalem, um, they were gone for a whole day before they realized he was gone. Uh, and that's because in those days, 12 years old, when you're bar mitzvah, you are considered a son of the law. You are responsible to God for yourself. So he was literally, they, they trusted him as an adult at 12 years old. And when they came back and they, when his mom came back and found him, um, she said, didn't you know that we were worried about you? He said, woman, in, in, in the English translation says woman, but it means, dear lady, don't you understand that I must be about my father's business? Yeah. And, and so the idea of being an entrepreneur is a good idea. Business is a good idea. Um, marriage is a good idea. Yeah. Couples working together in a business is a great idea because it, it's one more thing that unifies the couple, you know, um, as I travel around and do live events and have traveled around for um, almost two decades now doing live events and having my family travel with me, having my wife travel with me uh, when I go do live events, having my children travel with me when I go do live events. And now having my children, uh, and I say they're children, they're not children, but they they're my children. I don't like the word kids, but anyway, that's a whole nother conversation for a different day. So I know they're grown. My son is 30. My daughter's 28. My daughter has their own family, you know, and uh, my son has his own apartment and his dog and all the stuff. They got their own lives, right? But they're still my children, even though they're grown. So the fact that they were able to grow up with both parents being at home, what an advantage, right? And when I went somewhere, I could take them with me. The whole family, we could all go together. And having that kind of family infrastructure is so vital. My wife and I, we've been married now for 34 and a half years. Oh, wow. And um, I love her more now than I did the day we first met. And she loves me more now than the day we first met. And I think part of what contributed to that is the fact that we work together in our family business. Mm -hmm. So um, a lot of times we're confused because of the messages that the that the cultural hypnotic societal mechanism gives us, right? The, if you think about it, if you think about it, the cultural, I call it the cultural hypnotic, because in our culture, there is a hypnotic mechanism that hypnotizes all of society into a trance so that nobody thinks anymore, right? Mm -hmm. And that mechanism is designed, I believe, to program us to be sick, broke, misinformed, and fearful. Mm -hmm. um, and, and when you think about 
this thing about programming, culture hypnotic societal mechanism programs us. One of the things that people don't realize is the fact that we will never behave consistently in a way that's inconsistent with our programming, right? So your programming produces way more results for you than your desire does. And so if you wanna change the outcomes, you have to change the input of those programs, right? And so if you think about since the 1970s, uh, late 1960s, early 1970s, the, the media has been against families mm -hmm. and against business. And we've been programmed on a subconscious level to, to not honor the idea of family. In fact, um, there are those who would like to change the definition of what family means, but um, only God can determine that. Anyway, that I'm not being political, so therefore I can't be politically correct. <laughs> um, but anyway... Um, but only God can determine that. And so they want to define what family is and they want to define what business is. And if you think about it, a lot of the internal conflict people have in business, a lot of the internal conflicts people have in business are a result of this idea that the cultural hypnotic societal mechanism has programmed us to believe there's something inherently wrong with business. Mm -hmm. So um, if, if, if even, even like subtly, if you look at like some of the most popular movies out there today are superhero movies, right? Yeah. And um, almost most of the most of the popular superheroes you will notice are poor little orphans. They're poor. They grow up as poor orphans. Like Superman was a poor orphan. Mm. Um, Spider-Man was a poor orphan. And people always come and say, yeah, but Batman wasn't poor. Right. He was a rich orphan, but he didn't have any powers. Mm. Right. He had, he had money, but no powers. He couldn't fly. You know, he couldn't spin a web. Um, uh, he wasn't faster than a locomotive, more powerful, uh, more powerful than a locomotive, faster than a speeding bullet. He wasn't able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And then people say, yeah, but Iron Man was rich. Right. But Iron Man was rich, but he's a narcissistic jerk. So they are always anchoring negative attributes to wealth and money. In fact, if you look at the arch enemies of Superman, Lex Luthor, multimillionaire, the arch enemy of Spider-Man, the Green Goblin, multi-billionaire. They're always anchoring evil money, like business and entrepreneurship and wealth to money. And so we've got all this internal conflict where we don't want to become something that we despise. And so we have this desire to have a better life, but we despise the method mm. to get us there on a subconscious level. And all, I'm, I'm going to say 90% of the results we produce in our life, we're producing based on our subconscious programming. And uh, only about 10% of the results are produced by conscious effort. And so what we have to do is we have to change the internal. You talk about mindset, like most people don't understand that, that money is not inherently evil, right. nor is it inherently neutral. Mm -hmm. Money is inherently good. And I know there are people who disagree with me, but and I'm going to say this money is inherently good because even though people do bad things with it, yeah. right? Um, it's, it's, it's like Satan is a master of twisting word definitions. Mm -hmm. right? And so, so the world system wants us to believe that money is inherently evil or inherently neutral, but I believe it's inherently good. And some people say, well, Myron, why do you say money is inherently good? I say it's inherently good because the first time it's mentioned in scripture, it's mentioned in, in the garden of Eden. There's gold in that land, and the gold of that land is good. So God said it was good, so therefore it's good. And the only way to legitimately get it is to do something good for someone other than yourself. Mm -hmm. in, in fact, 
I, I like to tell people at my events that that money is the incentive program that God created so the human beings would treat each other good, <laughs> right? What, and what, what people say, well, that, 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 I don't. What does that mean? Well, that means if you go to a restaurant, they're not going to feed you because you're a nice person. If you go to a hotel, they're not going to let you have a room because they like your outfit. The only incentive that they are incentivized by to treat you well enough to let you use their stuff is money. And basically, if you think about it, money is a certificate of value created. In other words, if, if you have something that I desire and you say, well, Myron, why should I give it to you? Uh, we only serve people who serve other human beings. Well, I can serve other, I've served other human beings, prove it. I have some certificates. Mm. These certificates prove that I have served other people. Generally speaking, if, if, I'm a, if I'm a decent and moral and honest human being, the more certificates I have, that just shows them that I've served people at a higher and higher level. And so what, what the beautiful thing about what you are doing is you are giving families the opportunity to grow together so they don't grow apart. And it's such an amazing privilege. When I, so my wife and I, we usually take four 10-day vacations a year. So that's one of the things that we do together to grow together so we don't grow apart, right? Mm -hmm. And so in January, we're going on a cruise and, you know, the two comic club cruise, right? So in January, we're going on a cruise. That's only seven days, but that's okay. That now um, another, and by the way, it's really amazing that a lot of the times these vacations are attached to some kind of business growth and personal growth at the same time, and but it's still a vacation. Like, I chill more on a cruise ship than any other vacation I take. But anyway, so we're going on a cruise. Okay. So then we're going on another cruise in February and I'm going to be speaking one time on that cruise. And then the rest of the time, it's just chillaxation with my wife. So we're going on a cruise in February. We're going on a cruise in, I mean, a cruise in January, cruise in February. Then we're going to Israel for 14 days oh, wow. in uh, March. Ooh, y'all should come with us. Yeah. Epic. <laughs> there's still room there's still room anyway so we're we're going to israel in um we're going to israel in march so from march 1st to march 14th we leave on march 1st we get back on march 14th so i guess we'll be there actually 12 days so we'll go to israel and then in the summertime for our anniversary we always go to hawaii for 10 days mm. nice right but also this summer i want to take my children and my my, my son and my daughter my son-in-law my granddaughter i want to take them to banff to the Banff Springs Hotel. It's a mm -hmm. castle that they've converted into a hotel. And it is the most epic hotel I've ever stayed in in my life. And I just want my family to, want my children to see it. Anyway, mm -hmm. so we're gonna do that. And then in the fall, we're going to, we're flying to Greece, sailing, touring Greece, sailing to Israel, touring Israel, and then sailing to Egypt and touring Egypt. Wow. And the reason we get to do that is because we have a business that we've grown together in over the years. And, and there are sacrifices that come with that. But man, the sacrifices that come with that are nothing compared to the sacrifice, sacrifices people make going off in their own directions. Mm. Right? This raises an interesting question. Okay. Um, <laughs> I've heard you speak about balance before. Mm. <laughs> I believe that... If a person is a middle-level executive in corporate America, there's going to be sacrifices that come with that kind of demand. Absolutely. Responsibility. And I've, and I've seen that happen even within my own family because I have people in corporate America, even within my own family. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting how sometimes families can be pseudo-okay with that versus 
mm. the entrepreneur in the family who may be putting in, even if it was the same amount of time huh. commitment, but somehow that is uh, less noble or not as beneficial. Can you talk about how families um, talk about some of the intangible benefits that family business offers okay. that are not always apparent? Absolutely. So some, yeah, I'm, I'm, let me talk about it on a couple of levels. First of all, um, I think a big problem in America is the emphasis that Americans place on playing a big problem. I think the emphasis that Americans place on playing with your ch children is also a big problem. And I know I, there's so much emphasis placed on playing with your children and watching your children play. In fact, I'm going to say most of the stuff that most like families focus on, most of the stuff they focus on the distractions. They don't focus on anything that's like destiny, you know, they focus yeah. on distractions while ignoring destiny. <laughs> mm. It's like, wow. so, so, so this idea that I'm a good parent if I play with my children, I'm a good parent if I go to my children's game, but I'm a bad parent if I don't play with my children, and I'm a bad parent if I don't go to my children's games, right? Because I'm working or building a business or building my empire or building my family empire or building my family business. I miss one of my child's games. Oh, I'm a terrible parent. But here's the reality. When I was a child, and I'm older than y'all are, so y'all hang in there with me. I said some, I said to my daughter, did you ever see this clip from the Bob Newhart show? She's like, dad, what is Bob Newhart? I've never heard of that, right? So anyway, so I get it. So I'm from a different, I'm from a different era, but I heard somebody say one time, there's no school, there's no school like old school, okay? So, so, and maybe that's true, right? So, so the, um, this idea about playing with our children and watching our children play, the reality is our children are going to come into the world that we have to figure out and live in, and they're going to have to figure out how to live in it. We're never going back into the world they live in. We're never going back to playland. When I was a child, there was more emphasis on children going to work with their parents than there was on parents playing with their children. Now, I, I, I didn't play football. I didn't play baseball. I didn't play basketball, but I did karate. My parents never came to one of my karate tournaments. But I can't count. I mean, never one time did they ever come to one of my karate tournaments. I was a full grown man by the time my parents came and watched me do something. Like full grown man with my own family, right? Somebody, oh, your parents are bad parents. I don't know. They raised seven boys, none of which are in jail. All who are responsible human beings, all who are taking care of their families. Maybe they, maybe they knew something, but I know one thing. I started going to work with my dad when I was five years old. My mom taught me how to knit. I mean, she didn't teach me how to knit. She taught me how to sew. She taught me how to crochet. She taught me how to iron. She taught me how to cook. Right? Because my parents understood that they were preparing boys to become men. Most parents today are perpetuating the childhood of their children and not preparing them for anything, which is why their, parent, their children are, don't have any desire to have families of their own. The idea of being responsible for somebody other than themselves just, just absolutely <laughs> frightens them to no end. The idea of being responsible for themselves frightens them to no end. And so they're 45 years old and they're still living with their parents. Mm. Right? So, so, so the idea that there's something wrong with an entrepreneur being focused on their business is so ludicrous that it's hideous. 
It's like, it's, it's so nonsensical. It's almost <laughs> insane. Now, I get it. When I, when I first got started in my business, I was horrible at sales. I was horrible at business development. I was horrible at recruiting. I was horrible at building teams. I was, every aspect of business that existed, I was horrible at all of them. In fact, when I started as an entrepreneur in 1985, I did not make my first sale. I started in October of 1985. I didn't make my first sale as an entrepreneur until April of 1987. That's a year and a half. Wow. And I was working. And I was talking to people and I was doing presentations and everybody was saying, no, 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 Right. But I lasted through the learning curve. And even after I started making sales, I became the top salesperson in our office. But guess what? I still wasn't good. It took me 14 years to have my first six figure year, 14 years of nose to the grindstone. Right. Like, like, like head down, like back aching heart-wrenching work before I had my first six-figure year. Fortunately, now we have the internet, so it doesn't really take that long because you have access to everything and everybody. But that's how long it took me. And I had people in my family, Otis, who were saying, all you, ever, all you think about is money. All you care about is money. Okay, first of all, let me help you understand something. You're so out of balance. You're so out of balance. Ah, I'm going to say like my mom used to say, oh, hush, right? So, <laughs> so People act as if the only objective in life is balance. Mm -hmm. Balance is a season, like summer is a season. Mm -hmm. And it's never winter and summer in the same place at the same time. Mm -hmm. And balance is a season, and the opposite season of balance is focus. Mm -hmm. And if it's, if, if it's summer, it ain't winter. And if it's winter, it ain't summer. And if you're in focus, you're out of balance. And if you're in balance, you're out of focus. And when you get started as an entrepreneur, trying to be balanced can destroy your business, destroy it before it ever even gets started. You have to, when you get started in your business, you have huge seasons of focus and little bitty seasons of balance, huge seasons of focus and little bitty seasons of balance because it takes money to buy balance. Mm -hmm. And so eventually when you start making more money, when you first start working, you do this much work and make this much money. That's why you have this much focus and that much balance. But as you get, as you work and become more effective and more efficient and more profitable in your business, you start making more money and working less time. And so now you can have little seasons of focus and big seasons of balance. So like there was a time where working full time, overtime and double time and triple time, I couldn't make six figures. And now working part time, our business generates seven figures. So it's really, really different. And yeah, I travel a lot. Like there are days, like I just spent the last four days in a mastermind that went from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And it was in California. So it took me a day to get there and a day to get home. So the last six days of my life, I was in focus mode, right? Mm -hmm. There was no golf. There was no watching television. There was no going out to eat. There was, there was just, well, I did go out to eat like for the meals, but like there was no, there was no, there was no downtime. It was like totally focused six days straight, right? But I told my family, like, I am home for the rest of the year, right? So I'm going to be here <coughs> in my bed every night from now until 2020. That's 40 days of balance. Now, I'll do some work. I'll do a few hours of work each day. Maybe even some days I'll do four or five hours of work. But the reality is because, because of our of our systems that we have in place, 
that we put in place over time, the very same kind of systems that y'all teach people. Now our seasons of focus are like this and our seasons of balance are ginormous, which is what gives us the ability to take at least five vacations next year that will last anywhere from seven days to 14 days apiece. And that's what, to me, to me, it's about, it's about being your family. And the other beautiful thing about having a family business is, you know, the scripture gives us some warnings about wealth, right? But none of those warnings are don't create it, right? right. So tells us, tells us not to trust it. Don't, don't put your trust in riches. So the money tells us in God we trust. Why does it say in God we trust in the money? So we don't get to the place where we make the mistake to believe that we can trust in the money. Right. The money should remind us to trust in God. Right. So so that so we don't we don't trust in the money. We trust in the gut. We trust in God. But so don't trust in money. Another one it tells us is um, is don't um, don't defraud someone or don't cheat someone for money. So don't want money so bad that you're going to cheat somebody for it. So you don't trust for money. You don't trust in money. You don't cheat for money. And the other thing is, it tells us, don't lay not up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, hmm. where moth and rust does corrupt, where thieves do break through and steal. Yeah. Hmm. A lot of people say, well, see, that shows you shouldn't want to be rich. No, no. It didn't say don't lay up treasures. It said don't lay up treasures for yourself. Mm-hmm. Right? So who am I laying up my treasures for? I'm laying up treasures for my children. I'm laying up treasures for my grandchildren on the earth. And the other treasures I'm laying up for myself, I'm laying up in heaven. But the treasures I'm laying up for my family, I'm laying them up here. Why? Because I want to be a good man. And the scripture says, a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. And and I know a lot of people who like to speak Christianese will say, yeah, but Myron, that's talking about a biblical, a good godly heritage. Okay, that sounds good, but the scripture itself defines itself. And here's what it says. Houses and riches are the inheritance of fathers, and a prudent wife is from the Lord. So... If I want to consider myself to be a good man, then I need to leave some houses and some riches to my children. And that's the f- purpose of my family business. My, my granddaughter, she's, she'll be four months old on the 29th. So next week, next week she'll be four months old. So it's time flies. And she has this little baby, like, like a walker, but it's not a walker. She just stands in it. She's got all these toys that she plays with. And my wife said to me um, last night, she said, man, we need to get one of those, um, stands for Ari when she's here. So she has something to do when she's here. I said, well, go, go get it, baby, go get it. And I said, Ari, tell your Nini, that's what we refer to her, her grandmother as Nini. Ari, tell your Nini, you own the whole company. It's all yours anyway. <laughs> so that's, that's the purpose of a family business, not just for the couple to grow together, but for the entire family to grow together. My daughter, and my son-in-law work for our company. Mm. My son has his own business, but he does work for our, he subcontracts for us, but he likes having his own clients um, as well. And I ain't mad at him. In fact, I'm quite thankful that he's like, wants to go do his own, his own gig. But the reality is, the reality is that is God's design for couples to grow together. It's really interesting. Um, in Genesis chapter one, uh, Genesis, in Genesis chapter two, probably it is, but it says the Lord God formed man and the word man, there is the word Adam. A lot of people don't realize that word Adam is what God called Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. God called their name, Adam, Adam later called her name Eve. Mm-hmm. So, so one of the best ways to become more unified and more as one is for couples to work together in their own family business. Even if both couples have a job, 
that are yeah. not their business. Come home at night and build your business together. That's some. That's the project that y'all can work on together. When you, it was to me when my children were growing up. It was far more important for my children to me for my children to work in our family business when they came home than it was for them to do so-called homework. Because mm-hmm. homework is not really homework anyway. It's just a distraction, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're spending you're spending six hours a day memorizing a bunch of information that you'll never use and then come home and then I'm supposed to n- relearn this useless information so I can help my children learn how to do it anyway I've got some opinions about that that probably probably <laughs> probably don't fit right here but I would I would recommend that all parents read the book weapons of mass instruction and that book will blow their minds and prepare them to better help their children get through the government indoctrination camps. I mean, the school system, sorry. <laughs> Every now and then my opinions slip out. I don't know. <laughs> <what they're... laughs> well, thank you for that. Thank you for that insight and just sharing literally like how important it is. I mean, we started off with mindset, but then how that permeates every other everything. Area of our lives, um, our marriage, our business, how far we go, how far we don't go. So um, we, we just thank you for dropping these nuggets. And, you know, we are excited that we're going to be able to have more of you sharing and just in a few days at Married Manure Live. So we're looking yes. forward to you sharing more of these gems on mindset, on building a family empire together from yeah. someone who started literally from the ground up, you know. I was a trash man, making $6.25 an hour. I was a trash man driving a trash, stanky old trash truck, driving a stanky old trash truck, making six twenty-five an hour. You know, when you were talking about just something you said earlier, just um, just triggered a thought uh, when you said <clears throat> you didn't make a sale, I think, for the first year and a half. Right. Something like that. And I thought, wow, he carried a goose egg until he got to carry a golden egg. Ooh. Bars. That, that gave me change. <laughs> Oh, oh, you forgot to drop the mic. <laughs> right, right, right. right. <laughs> yeah, that's so important. And wow. Today, there's so oh, this, thank, thank you for that. That gave me ch- literally my, ch- I'm, I've chose. <laughs> wow. wow. <laughs> yes, I was going to say that, that right there, just having the, um, not just only the vision, but the audacity to continue. I think that's amazing. Um, and, and it's so few and so rare to hear those who actually have um, made it past that learning curve. You call that year and a half a learning curve. And then yeah. you also said 14 years later, that was still a learning curve. Like that's a big learning curve, you know? And yes. today- Here's what people don't realize. And, mm-hmm. I, and, and I, I just, I don't want this to escape me. I don't want to interrupt you. I'm sorry for being rude. Okay. People don't understand a year and a half is going to go by anyway, whether you learn it or not. Exactly. 14 years is going to go by anyway, whether you learn it or not. Like right. you're like- it took, man, but it took you 14 years to make six figures. 14 years was going to come whether I made six figures or not. Mm-hmm. And then three years, seven figures. Three years is going to go by whether we did seven figures or not. Yeah. <clears throat> right? So anyway, I didn't mean, so you're saying today. Yeah. No, <laughs> we even talk about the quantum between the 14 years and then the three years later. That's right. a whole other conversation. That's a whole, and, yeah. And that's you a whole have thing. that momentum. Yes. And it continues and. Um, what I was saying is there are so many who talk about that, but who haven't actually lived that out. And mm. so to have that level of um, substance is rare. And so I say, you know, thank you for not only coming on here, but just being willing to share with our um, attendees at Mary Canoe Live. As oh. well. So um, thank you for that. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. My pleasure. I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be phenomenal. And I appreciate y'all having me on your Facebook Live today. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Married Panure Life podcast. If you have enjoyed this interview as much as we have, be sure to let us know what your biggest ahas and takeaways were over on IG or Facebook. And be sure to tag us at Married Panure Life. We would love to hear all about what you're about to implement. And we would love to hear about those results as well. So until then, be sure you to keep living powerfully in sync, in profit, and in purpose.